You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Neil Bernardino. I am the pastor of this church. All right. Right now, we are continuing our series on knowing God. And this whole week, it's all about spending time with God and knowing God. And we're talking about this for the month of January. And last week, we looked at God's glory. We're going to look at the different attributes of God. There's so many attributes of God, but we're going to focus on these things. And the goal here is to deepen our knowledge of Him so that as we grow in our relationship with Him, we would also ascribe to Him greater praise because He is worthy and He is deserving of all our praise. With that, I'd like to invite everyone, please turn your Bibles to Psalm 34. We're going to talk about God's goodness this morning. Again, we're going to be reading the whole Psalm 34 of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you bring life to us. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, you're so good. Many times it's a cliche for us to say God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But Lord, I pray that we would come to a deeper understanding of your goodness, that we may respond appropriately and that we may give you the praise that you deserve. And Lord, today, may you open our eyes to see your glory and your goodness. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That was a rather lengthy passage. 
There are different types of psalms. There are royal psalms, there are intercession psalms, and there are psalms used for ascending and going into their, basically their ceremonies in, during the feasts. But this type of psalm is a thanksgiving psalm, and it was written by King David. He was not king then. It was written by David, who was working for King Saul at the time. King Saul wanted to kill David, and so David fled. He became a fugitive, basically, to hide from Saul because Saul wanted to take his life. David went to the Philistines. Now, remember, before this time, David was the one leading Saul's army into battle against the Philistines. And because of his exploits and his his, uh, military victories, he became so popular among the Israelites and also among their enemies, among the Philistines. And people are singing about David and all the other enemy nations are hearing about the reputation of David. They're singing about David this way. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So in other words, they're ascribing more honor to David because of his military exploits. And so they knew about him. So when David fled from Saul, he went to the king of the Philistines. He went to Gath, a city of the Philistines. The title for their ruler is Abimelech. Abimelech is not the name. Abimelech is a title for Philistine rulers. It's like Pharaoh is the title of the ruler for Egypt. Abimelech was the title for this Philistine ruler whose name was Achish. Achish, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. And so here, David, when he was there, hoping to be there incognito, but some of the Philistine officials recognized David. And here's what David did. When the Philistines who recognized him said, Isn't this David who went out and led the armies of Israel? Isn't he the one whom they sing of? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And they reported it to the Abimelech, to King Achish. They realized that he is a threat. And he's there in the house of the king. And David got word of it. And so he feared for his life. But of course, he trusted in God. But he devised a plan. He entrusted his life on God. And he devised a way, basically, for him not to be taken by the king. For his life not to be taken by the king. And so he pretended to be insane. You'll find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So we're not going to turn there. And he pretended to be insane. He was pretended he was scratching the doors of the gateposts and the doorposts of King's house. And he let his spittle run across his beard. In other words, you know, he drooled like a dog. He pretended to be insane. And the king saw that and he said, look, is this the man we see as a threat? He's insane. Why did you even bring him here? And so basically... He was driven out, and he went away. So David escaped, basically. And then he went to the cave of Adullam. Then some people joined him there. And those people were those who were despised, distressed, and those who were in debt. And they were the ones who later became David's mighty men. The cave of Adullam. That's another story. But David was being pursued by Saul. And then here he had imminent danger because he was found out that he was David. But he was spared, so he gave thanks to God. Now, I want to focus on David's revelation of the goodness of God to his life. I share that because that's the background, that's the context. And also, this psalm, Psalm 34, is an acrostic psalm. 
it was written in an acrostic manner. You know what an acrostic is? It's uh, taking letters from the alphabet, making a word. For example, how many of you have memorized all the Great Lakes? The five Great Lakes? You know, we teach our children, we homeschool them. And uh, there's a handle that we've given them so that they will not forget. Sweet monkeys help each other. S-M-H-E-O. Sweet monkeys help each other. Superior, Michigan, Huron, Erie, Ontario. So those are the five great lakes. Or what about this one? Some of you may remember this. Sometimes in your love letters when you were younger, you write Italy. Oh, see, some of you are reacting already because you know what it is. What does Italy stand for? I trust and love you. I trust and love you, Italy, okay? So that's an acrostic right there. What else? Japan. What's Japan? Okay, religious. <laughs> Just always pray at night, okay, Japan. What else? Anyway, it's an acrostic psalm, meaning each line, you notice there are 22 verses here, and each line, each verse begins with the consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 characters or letters. Each line starts with the letter from the alphabet, and it starts consecutively. So it's like A, B, C, D, E. And the beauty of this is this demonstrates the skill of David. He didn't just flippantly give thanks to God. He took time to really meditate and write down his thanksgiving to God in a creative way, in a creative manner, and it's written in an acrostic form, and that probably is used to aid people to memorize the Psalms. If you're a Hebrew person, you probably would have spent many, many hours memorizing the Scriptures. So this aids in the memorization. But this speaks of the skill of David in writing Psalms. Most of the Psalms he wrote because he was a worshiper. He expressed his love for God through his songs. Sometimes his laments, sometimes his praise, sometimes his complaints. Sometimes he was angry and he wrote imprecatory psalms. <laughs> so basically, David expressed his emotions through his songwriting. So that takes great skill. So David was cognizant of the presence of God and the goodness of God in his life. And so he meditated on the goodness of God. Some of us, when we we're asked in our victory groups, so what has God done for you this week? And you go, um, you can't really think of anything. You really have to dig deep. What did God do? And the reason a lot of people find it hard to recall the things God has done for them is because they were not aware of his presence in his life during the week. So David was aware of the presence of God and the goodness of God in his life. That's why he was always thankful to God. That's why you see a lot of psalms are thanksgiving psalms written by David because of how good God was in his life. And he gave praise to God for that. How many of you can recall the goodness of God? How many of you can say God's been good to you? So good that you're so overwhelmed by his goodness that you say, I don't deserve this kind of treatment. I don't deserve this kind of goodness. Lord, you're so good. But he loves you anyway, flaws and all. And you can't help but be amazed and be at awe and, and praise Him. And that's the natural result of someone knowing the presence of God and being aware of God's goodness to his life. The result is a life of praise. 
That's why we sing songs here this morning. Praise and worship is not just about singing songs. It's about a heart attitude that is given to God, ascribing God all the glory because He deserves it. We praise Him for what He has done, and we worship Him for who He is. And that's why when we're here every Sunday morning, when we begin, see, the praise and worship is not the prelude to the sermon. This is the only time here in the sermon you listen and you receive. In the praise and worship, that's an avenue for you to express your thanksgiving and your love for God. And what happens? Some of you know where I'm going. The worship is as much important as the preaching of the word. But that is the time where you can express your love for God. But what do we do many times? Again, I'm not singling out anyone, okay? You know I love you, right? And I speak the truth in love. Many times we treat the praise and worship as, you know, we just come here routinely on the last song. Thinking, ah, you know, the service hasn't really started. You see, many times when people think that way, their mentality is, what can I get from the service? What can I get from God? You're like a person with a big straw. I like that one. Okay, what can I get from God? But if your mentality is, Lord, I'm so thankful to you for who you are. I can't wait to meet you and to tell you how good you are. How I so appreciate your love for me. And I want to express that. We should be excited to meet with God and to express ourselves before God. And when we're here, we're praising and worshiping God. It's not about you. It's all about God. Some of us are so conscious, we don't want to worship God because it may look undignified or, I don't do this, you know. But if you see, if you have a revelation of who God is, then you'll be able to worship with abandon. I don't care what people think. I will worship God. I will give my thanks to Him. So if you see, that is important to me, that I express my worship and my gratitude, my heartfelt thanks to God, and my praise of Him and my worship of Him through the songs, then I will do so. But worship and praise is not just the singing of the songs. It's in how we live our lives. Our whole lives and the way we live our lives, that is a worship unto God. The way you treat your spouse, the way you treat others when they malign you. Sometimes you just want to smack them in the face, but you go, because I'm a follower of Jesus. I can, I have every right to smack you in the face, but I choose to take the higher road. I will forgive. I will forgive. Because that's what my master expects of me. Because I have been forgiven. That's what worship is. Worship is the heart and attitude of wholeheartedly giving yourself to God, spirit, soul, and body as a living sacrifice. So it's not just the singing of songs here. The 15, 20 minute singing of songs time here on Sunday morning. And here, the whole point, basically we read the whole Psalm 34. With David saying he was inviting everyone to praise God, to magnify Him. He was admonishing people, fear the Lord, okay? Worship Him, give thanks to Him. And then he says, I'm going to teach you how to fear the Lord. But the whole point of the psalm is this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you have tasted something really, really good? You can say, it's the best thing I've tasted, and you can't help but tell people about it. And even if they present you with something, ah, you know what? That's nothing. Taste this one. This is good. How many of you like cheesecakes? Some of you like it too much. In Cheesecake Factory almost every week. I like cheesecakes, especially when I have coffee with it. And I've tasted a lot of cheesecakes 
from all over. But there's one particular cheesecake that I've tasted. Not just ate cheesecake, but the store where they serve these cheesecakes. It's in New York City. And the, the name of that place is Junior's. They did not pay me to do this. I'm not doing any ad for them or plug for them. But I'm telling you right now, that is the best cheesecake I've ever tasted. So when people say, oh, this is great cheesecake, wait till you taste the one in Junior's. That's one of the best that I've tasted so far. There may be some, some, you know, another cheesecake that's better. I haven't tasted it yet. But you see, when you taste something that's really good, you want to tell people about it. You want people to experience what you've experienced, right? And that's what taste and see that the Lord is good is. When David said taste and see that the Lord is good, he was inviting people to experience God. He was saying, you think life is good? Wait till you have God on your side. Wait till you are in the presence of God. Are you stressed out? Every time I'm stressed out, I just go to the presence of God and He lifts up my spirit. And He encourages me and He gives me grace and strength and joy and so much peace that we so long for. Man, you got to try this. David's not saying, check this out. He's saying, no, you experience it. I've experienced it. That's why I'm telling you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. God is good in all His intentions, in all His words, and in all His actions. God is good in all He is. And what is good? Good is that which is worthy of approval. Some of you ladies, you're with your spouses, like in Nordstrom or you're at a department store and you're trying some clothes out. You try one dress and then you come out, you go to your husband, is this okay? That's okay. And then, and then you try another one, and the husband goes, I like the other one better. And then you try another one, and you go, whoa. So you go for the one that is approved, right? The problem here is people have this question, is God good? And if he is good, how come he allows evil in the world? You see, that's, that's an age-old question that God can easily answer that. The presence of evil does not negate the goodness of God. Actually, you can see there, God will deal with evil things. But he will deal with it according to his way, according to his time. The problem today is that we are the ones defining what's good. What's good for you may not be good for me. Oh, you did that? Great! Good for you! But I'm not going to do it. Not for me. We think we are the ones who define what is good. But God, who is a good God, he is the standard of all things good. He is the one who defines what's good, not us. And when we understand His goodness, and we understand the way, a portion of how He thinks, then we are able to discern what is good because He teaches us. So basically, when you talk about what's good, it is that which is worthy of approval. Now the question is, whose approval is it? A lot of people today think that they can just discard God because we don't approve of God. But in reality, goodness comes from God. It's His approval all the time. And He is good. Wayne Grudem wrote a systematic theology book. He said this about the goodness of God. The goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good and that all that God is and does is worthy of approval. We say, yes, Lord. He doesn't come to us for approval. We say yes because He is good. He is the standard. And by the standard that we discern, He say yes. That's why we say yes to Him. That's why I said yes to Him. 
Because I realize my standard of good is nothing compared to how he defines what good is. And he is good to me. Jesus implies that he is the standard of this in Luke 18. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, God is the standard of what is good. And no one, if you really want to see what is good, it's all about God. No one is good, not even when it comes to the definition of God, how He defines good. None of us, the Bible says, meet the criteria. But here in this statement as well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In my imagination, I'm thinking, no one is good but God alone. But who is Jesus? Kind of left that hanging, right? Probably to let them try to figure it out. And since God is the source of all that is good in the world, good, therefore, is what God approves. What God approves. What is good? What is good is what God approves. Now, let me ask you this question. Did Job suffer calamity? Did God approve that? Is that good? Hard to think. You see, that just tells you how finite we are. That we cannot understand or grasp the infinite goodness of God. That out of that, something good came out. And sometimes, because we are living in a fallen world, when God works things for our good, it gets messy. Because we are already in the pit anyway, we are already messed up. And when He pulls us out, it's a messy thing. But He's doing it to redeem us. And sometimes He allows things to happen. It may hurt us right now temporarily, but for eternity, it will serve us for our eternal good. Anthony, you were in the military, right? You trained, right? How many years did you train? Four years. And then while you were serving, after that four years, you were still doing some training, right? Did you love the pain that came with it? No. But was that good for you? Did it help you to accomplish your purpose as a soldier? It did. You see, we think myopic. We just see what is right in front of us. We don't see the purpose of God. That's why with God, as long as you're still breathing, there is always hope. What kind of situation do you have? Are you going to be killed like David? You're being hunted down, and then now you're found out you're going to be killed as well? What are you going to do? And there are times that we come into situations where we don't have any control of what's going to happen, And the only recourse we have is to rely on the goodness of God to save us. And that's where our testimony will be most amazing. It's when we are hopeless and then God plucks us out by His grace. So that way we can testify. It's only by the grace of God that I stand here today. James 1.17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Psalm 84 verse 11 says this, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will He withhold. What does that tell us? It tells us that God has only good for His children. Those who walk uprightly before Him. He has nothing but only good. He has good concerning you and I. May not look like it now, but wait for it. God has good things in store for you. Not your dreams. Not your first million. You can read books, How to Make Your First Million. 
God's way. My question is, does God want everybody to be a millionaire? I don't know. He wants us prosperous. But again, whose definition is it? Is it our definition of prosperous? Or is it His definition of prosperous? What will you settle for? David settled for God's definitions for his life. And that's why even when he had the chance to kill King Saul, God delivered Saul twice to David. First, when Saul was asleep, and David went to the camp, took some of his stuff. And then when Saul was looking for David, and he was there by the cave of Adullam, he didn't know David was inside the cave. And Saul, you know, it was in the wilderness, he wanted to relieve himself. He went into the cave and relieved himself, not knowing David and his men were behind him. So while he was relieving himself, David snuck behind him and cut a piece of his robe. The guy's relieving himself. And then the, David's men said, there's your chance. There's your chance. The Lord said you're going to be king. There's your chance. You can strike him down. He who wants you dead. But he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. See, David knew he was going to be king. But he was not going to take matters into his own hands. He was going to wait for God to make him king. By God's way. By God's method. Not by my hand. Many times we try to take matters into our own hands. Because... God's definition of good is rocking our definition and we can't handle it and we want to put it back to the place where we can control it and we can define that is good when God's saying that is not good for you. You see, God displays His goodness by what He does. Just go through that. Psalm 34 verses 15 through 22. This is how He displays His goodness. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And his ears toward their cry. Righteous means to be in right standing. When you're in right standing, how can we be in right standing with God today? It is through Jesus Christ. When we're forgiven of our sins, when we repent of our sins, and we put our trust in Christ alone for our salvation and for our eternity, for our life, God makes us righteous through Christ. And so here, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. He listens to you. But the answer he gives may not be the answer you're expecting. He knows what's best. But that just tells you God has good for you. And the good that you think it's good for you, that's nothing compared to what God has in store for you. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. Are you in danger? You see, some people think that if you're righteous... If you put your trust in Christ, you become a Christian, you're no longer going to have any problems in this world. Everything will be blessed. The blessed life now, if you have problems, that means you don't have peace. Then you don't have the blessing of God. Then you're in sin. You see, the goodness of God is not based on how we perform. He answers prayers not because we've been good. You know, He's not Santa Claus. He'll give you gifts based on if you're naughty or nice. I don't even believe in Santa Claus. In the stereotypical Santa Claus that's presented every Christmas. But God answers prayers not because we're good. He answers prayers because He is good. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of some of their troubles. Is that what it said there? All their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You see, even the righteous people can be brokenhearted, can be crushed in spirit. They can be discouraged. That's why the Lord is near them, to encourage them, to lift them up. Are you discouraged today? Are you a believer and you're discouraged? Let me tell you, the Lord is with you. He is mighty to save. And He delights over you. And He hears your cry. He just wants you to turn to Him more. 
Because the more you turn to Him, the more you'll be aware that He is there. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. There you go. The righteous will have many afflictions, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. As we wind this down, we see here David's response to the Lord. You see, we may find ourselves in dire circumstances, but we can be sure God is always good. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Do you love God? How many of you are called according to His purpose? That if you are that, this is truth for you. All things work together for good. All things work together. It may not look good now, but in the end, it's going to be good. That's why you persevere through trials. You persevere through affliction. You persevere through persecution. You do not give up. You put your faith in God because God is doing something that will produce great good in the end. So how are we to respond to God's goodness? We can learn from David's responses. First, we are to praise the Lord at all times. He said that. Psalm 34, verses 1 to 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times, he said. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. To praise means to give honor, to give the command and to worship. And in victory, we say we exist to honor God, make disciples. We want to give Him the honor and the glory, the worship, the praise that He deserves. Job praised God despite His calamities. In Job chapter 1, verse 21, it says, And He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can we say that? We will know what's in our hearts when bad things happen. And that's why God allows bad things to happen so that we can see what's in our hearts. And He allows bad things to happen so that He can deal with those bad things in our hearts. Is God good? He is so good that He goes beyond our definition of good so that He can rescue us. Momentary pain, that's okay. It's all for the greater good. That's why we have a saying. Those for you in the gym, especially now, a lot of you are renewed your membership in the gym. January. What do you always say? No pain, no glory. No pain, no glory. No guts, no glory, I guess. No pain, no gain. God allows these things. And that's why problems, somebody once said, problems are like your employees. They work for you. They help make you the kind of person God wants you to be. So in God's overall agenda for your life, that is a good thing. Secondly, we are to seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Psalm 34 verse 4 says this, I sought the Lord, is what David said. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. People want to be delivered, but they don't seek God. Verse 10, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Isn't God amazing? That's the goodness of God. You will lack no good thing. Seek the Lord in right relationship with Him. When we say seek the Lord, that means seeking Him in right relationship. Thirdly, here's what David did. He walked in the fear of the Lord. We are to walk in the fear of God. David said this, Psalm 34, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. Those who seek Him lack no good thing. Those who fear Him have no lack. So you see, 
God's goodness is taking care of you. He wants you to seek Him, not to get those things, but for you to know Him more so that you'll know how to respond in times of challenges. Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You want to live with wisdom and insight? Begin to fear God. When we talk about the fear of God, it's not God terrorizing you. It's not holding a lightning bolt and saying, okay now, mess up just one time. You see this lightning bolt? It's going to strike you. Mess up one time and you're, you're dead. God's not like that. We have to learn to grow in the fear of God and it starts by walking in faith and obedience to Him, to His Word. And that's what David did. Psalm 119, he says it. Hey, Psalm 119 says there, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word in his heart. Number four, here's another thing David did. He taught others about the Lord, about the fear of God and about His goodness. He said in Psalm 34, Come, O children, listen to me. We are to teach others as well. As we've experienced it, we are to teach it to others. We are to teach others about walking in the fear of God so they can experience the goodness of God. Let me tell you this. Even if you're an unbeliever, God is still expressing His goodness towards you by the grace He gives you, the chance He allows you to have to come to Him. So as we conclude, we begin our Christian life with a partial understanding of God's goodness. How many of you, when you gave your lives to Jesus, you knew everything? All you knew was a certain portion, but it was enough for you enough revelation for you to see how great God is and for you to give your life. Now let me tell you, that's not where it ends. It's just the beginning. The moment you give your life to Jesus, we receive a partial understanding of His goodness. But we are to grow in that. We are to walk in that goodness. And we are to grow in this goodness. The more we trust God on a daily basis, the more we will see His goodness. That's why David, it was in Psalm 27, I think, he said, maybe Psalm 23, I forget, I'm just remembering now. He said, I'm certain of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the land of the living, I will see the goodness of my God. And when we experience His goodness, it will result in a life of gratitude, a life that is grateful to God, a life that expresses its gratitude and worship and praise of God. When you experience His goodness, and you see, when we thank God, we're not to thank Him flippantly. You know how we do that many times? We do it religiously. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Praise God. But look at David. Going back to how he wrote the psalm. He wrote it as an acrostic. Try to write a poem. This is a poem, basically, that he sung. Try to write a poem with 26 verses, starting with the letters of the alphabet, and making all its themes connect. You're coherent. You're saying just one whole theme all throughout, consistently. Can you do that? Perhaps you can, but it will take great effort, great insight. What does that tell us? When we thank God, we're not to thank Him flippantly. We are to give Him our thanks with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. My last point, this is found in Psalm 107, verse 1. It says there, Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Praise the Lord and give thanks to Him. A life that experiences the goodness of God results in a life that praises Him, gives thanks to Him. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? The goodness of God was expressed ultimately in Him sending His one and only Son, Jesus. And Jesus came to reveal the Father who is good. Jesus came 
to reveal the good God so that we can enjoy Him. We can enjoy being in His presence. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by You. You've opened the door. You are the door. You've opened the way for us to have the opportunity to be reconciled to God and not just to be reconciled, but to be made His sons. Those who put their faith in You, You've made them Your children. You've made them sons and daughters of God. We not only are reconciled, but we are adopted into the family of God. And because we are children of God and we're reconciled to the Father, the Father has good concerning us. He only has good concerning us. Many times we take your goodness for granted. Many times we take you for granted. We are not aware of your presence when in fact you're always with us. Lord, we repent for making our own definitions of what is good, making our own definitions for our lives. And Lord, just as David, you put him in a place, in a very, very elite place. Lord, not many people would get to be where David was. So he was the king of Israel during its glory days, during the, the height of Israel's history. He was the king. He was the greatest king of Israel. But his heart says, I long to be with my God. When he sinned against you, he didn't care about his position. He cared about his state with you. He said, cast not your spirit away from me, because that is what was more important to him. I pray that we would learn from David's example, that we would make you the ultimate value of our lives, that you are the ultimate good, and that whatever you decide for us as good, whether we see it or not, whether we understand it or not, we believe you are good, and so we can trust you. So Lord, we repent of trusting ourselves. We repent of trusting in our own devices. We ask that you would forgive us. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and cause us to be aware of your goodness all around us. Lord, overwhelm us with your presence. Captivate us by your presence, Lord. That we would be like David, Lord, that when you deliver them, Lord. There will be times for us that we will be in situations where it will be impossible for us to get out of. But we can look to you, for you are the God of impossible things. Lord, we can put our hope in you. We can trust that you are good. And that you will deliver us from all our troubles as we cry out to you. So, Lord, we put our trust in you as David did. Lord, we receive your forgiveness. We receive your cleansing. And we ask, Lord, open our eyes that we may see your goodness. That our hearts may be captivated. That our hearts may be overwhelmed by your goodness. That we can't help but shout at the mountaintops. Tell people about your goodness. We can't help but encourage people to taste the same thing we have tasted and use us, Lord. Lord, may we live in your presence and may we grow in your goodness. May we grow in the knowledge of you and may we grow in our praise and our adoration of who you are. Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. Your steadfast love endures forever. Oh God, let that sink in our minds. You love us with an unfailing love and you are good to us. In spite of the bad things we do, you are still good to us. And that's because it's your nature. Lord, for that we thank you. We give you praise. Can we lift up our hands to Jesus?